You're listening to Funshack. I'm Ross Butler, and today I'm speaking with Trevor Hope, CIO at Gresham House Ventures. Trevor earned his investment spurs at 3i before becoming CIO at Beringia Proven VCTs and then a partner at Mobius Equity Partners, where he led the growth capital team. He now manages the Baronsme VCTs and the Mobius VCTs, which were acquired by Gresham House Ventures in 2021. Trevor, welcome to Funshack. Gresham House Ventures is, it sounds to me like quite an old school city name. What's the, uh, what's the backstory there? <laughs> well, well, Gresham sort of house itself is a sort of well-established entity. I mean, a very historic one. So it was first created in 1857, if I remember correctly. Um, and, you know, it's probably one of the longest sort of um, active businesses in the UK. It sort of floated as a sort of a publicly listed company back in 1950. Key bit for Gresham House were, were was the um, um, the sort of ma- there was a management buy-in in 2014 led by sort of Tony Dalwood and Rupert Robinson, and they led the management team to focus Gresham House around alternative assets. And I, I will get to the, the questions <laughs> in terms of alternative assets, and, and now it focuses in alternative, alternative assets, which is about eight billion pounds worth of capital under management, so it's growing very rapidly. And one of those areas is public equity and private equity investing, which is the bit that I sit within. Gresham House Ventures is the sort of forward-facing sort of brand regarding sort of private equity investing. So when we talk to entrepreneurs, when we talk to companies, we're talking to advisors and providing capital to hopefully fast-growing and innovative and successful businesses, we use the Gresham House Ventures brand. The VCT business looks like it's growing, mm. it's growing fast at scale. So what's the story there? Yeah, we're very fortunate in terms of a, if you, the VCT vehicles that we invest out of, there are four Mobius VCTs and two Baronsmead VCTs. And they all sit within sort of Gresham House Ventures in terms of how we invest in two sort of companies. And they, uh, as separate entities, have been growing very rapidly. We've been very successful and fortunate, but also successful in terms of raising capital for them. So if you think about Venture Capital Trust, the idea is that you sort of raise capital from individuals who receive a sort of tax benefit in doing so. Um, We then take that capital and invest into innovative companies. And because we've got a pretty strong track record. VCTs have been around from the late 90s through to the early 2000s, a strong track record. We've got an uh, investor base which is very supportive. And so last year we raised over £150 million for those VCTs and that will allow us to continue to invest. Um, and it's just that sort of, sort of virtuous circle of if you hopefully have strong returns from your VCTs, investors continue to invest into you and you can invest more capital, et cetera. And from a Gresham House perspective, what's the, is there a kind of a strategic rationale behind <clears throat> building up? Is there, is, there, is there value in scale as a VCT manager? Absolutely. So um, Gresham House has originally sort of acquired the Barrensmead VCTs uh, from LivingBridge uh, Private Equity. Um, and then they added the Mobius VCTs in 2021, which was I was a, as a partner at sort of Mobius VCTs and I brought that over to the Gresham House business. That scale. Now we have approximately just under 40 people focusing on private equity and public equity investing and investing out of our VCTs. And that means that we have a proper density. So in terms of coverage of the UK, we have a significant amount of people, but also we're able to provide additional support to the business that we invest in that perhaps you couldn't do if you were a smaller operation or had a sort of a a smaller sort of um, investment platform. So things like sort of talent management, we have a dedicated talent management team. So when we invest in businesses, one of the key elements that we say to them is, we're going to help you grow. And we're going to help you grow by effectively helping you to recruit the right people in terms of adding them in terms of executive roles, but also in terms of the board representation, et cetera. So we, we've got contacts and network. We've been doing this for a while now. We can help them do that. So that scale element just means that you can do more in terms of providing additional value, which is incredibly important in a 
in a market where there is a lot of capital available. So do you have specific people looking at talent or is that a focus where you have specific people in, we, internally? We have specific people sort of sitting within our team. Um, they are they're, they're additive in lots of different ways, but in terms of the key elements, there's one which is the, when we're looking at teams, we're sort of effectively doing due diligence, trying to understand where their skill sets are, you know, maybe where there are gaps in terms of the teams that we're looking to back that we need to sort of be aware of, but also to help fill. They'll help us in those reviews. But more importantly, from an entrepreneur's perspective, just as I said, when we're thinking about sort of a, a company which is going from scaling and it's thinking maybe about international expansion, or it's really now got to a scale whereby it needs a chief marketing officer, then we sort of say, actually, okay, well, we've, we've hired lots of those before for our portfolio companies. We know how to do, we know where to look. We have a network of people that we can sort of tap. Let us help you do that and make sure you get the right sort of characters and personalities to join your team. I mean, in one respect, there's, there's nothing new about private equity firms um, managing managerial change in their portfolio companies and, you know, the, the classic reputation of changing the CEO. But in another respect, that uh, it's interesting that you lead with that because um, with the advent of operating partners, people tend to focus on pricing or Six Sigma operations. Um, but you've gone in and focused on talent and in a way that makes complete sense. Um, and I have noticed it is a, an emerging trend, but very new that this advent of talent operating partners. It's a very recent thing. You've got to remember, we're investing in sort of growing opportunities and usually small and medium-sized enterprises. So we're not talking about big private equity deals here. And I think that's been a little bit more where it's been a bit more obvious around the talent management and sort of changing sort of the executive. We're talking about small and medium-sized enterprises, and I think we, we appreciate that that means that there is a sort of different dynamic to it. So lots of times we sort of work with companies I always sort of feel when we're talking to sort of uh, entrepreneurs and CEOs, there is sometimes a sense of actually, that they feel that they built this company. Sometimes I might have been a technology founder where they sort of interested in the technology, they built it into a bit of a business, helping it to grow. Now they have an office here. They have an office maybe in the North. They have sort of, you know, marketing to worry about. They have sort of finances to worry about. They have what, what you know, in terms of their business strategy and the technology development, all those sort of things are now all on their shoulders. And they're thinking about what happens next. They know they need capital to do that, but what they're also clear on is that they probably need some help with that. And so we think it's incredibly important, not only in terms of, a one, making good investments, but also as an offering whereby you can really properly partner with the teams that we want to back. Now, I'm sure you've got a, a great network, but what's the market like for recruiting talent at the moment? It's got better. Um, it's got better for lots of different reasons. Um, it, I mean, there was a period which we've seen in the market where it was all about growth, right? It was all about sort of, you know, growth at all costs. And people were looking for talent. And, and sometimes the talent which is required is quite specialist and maybe sort of in new areas. So, you know, in terms of a chief marketing officer who is fully aware and understands digital markets, actually, you know, something that's been, the market's been trying to catch up with that over the years. So um, we found it very difficult. You know, you had to sort of really sort of scramble around, really sort of focus. It was really important that you understood where people were within other enterprises, and if they were thinking about moving or changing or they wanted a different challenge, trying to stay on top of all of that. We reuse a lot of people that we worked with before. It's, an, it's the easiest thing to do. So if you know somebody's good, you sort of encourage them to come onto your next bit of a journey with maybe another company, that's fantastic. So I think now we're sort of seeing a bit of tightening now, a bit of tightening around sort of larger corporates. We've all heard about sort of some of the layoffs in some of the larger technology companies, et cetera. Now, maybe, it's still not easy getting good talent, perhaps a little bit easier than it was maybe a sort of a year, 18 months ago. Yes, that makes sense. And in terms of uh, the, the areas and stages of uh, 
company growth that you look at. Because of that larger platform, we can sort of invest across what we call the different life stages of a company. So we like to do what we call sort of late stage seed. So companies which have got through their original elements, they sort of maybe need to raise a little bit of capital. And on that basis, what we're really doing there is they're saying, okay, there's some boxes that they've ticked. It may well be they have a product which is quite clearly got a product market fit sitting within an industry, which we think is interesting. It's got core elements for the management team, sort of, you know, covering product, maybe in terms of some other things like sort of a, a um, some of the sales in terms of how they go about sales, but they're not really there fully established. So we will go from that level. Um, we then sort of follow that through in terms of to series A, series B, C, effectively. Um, and we're actually also, because of the way that we're structured, we also have the ability to follow companies through to sort of pre-IPO and an IPO initial listing. And then even further than that in terms of capital that we can provide. But a core element of what we look at is really sort of more around the late stage seed and series A investing. We're quite fortunate that we invest out of what are effectively evergreen funds. There's no rush in terms of a limited life fund whereby you maybe have four years or five years of investing mm. and you're supposed to effectively to harvest after that. We sold companies sort of last year, which we'd held for, I think, about 15 years. Mm. Um, our average life within our portfolio in terms of the companies that we backed is about six, seven years at the moment. So... You know, some, some will be very quick because it's just the market, mm. no opportunity, but we're not in a rush. We'd rather grow value and sort of go about that in the right way. Yeah, that, that's interesting because a lot of the uh, venture capital investors that invest out of 10-year limited mm. partnership funds often hit that problem that actually it takes longer yeah. to grow a business sometimes. Even a very good business can take longer to grow. It can take longer to grow. And also you've got to be, worried, be concerned about the sort of the sector, right? And the cycle, where you are in that terms. You might have a great business, but now, as some companies are finding at the moment, in the current economic environment, they might be a great business, but they can't necessarily right. exit or raise mm. capital because other people are more concerned about their organisations and their businesses. So that flexibility of the evergreen funds from VCTs is, is, is a significant point, which I think sort of entrepreneurs should be aware of. So you mentioned uh, exits. Presumably that's not something that anyone in the tech sector is thinking about at the moment. You'd be surprised. Right. You'd be surprised. And there are some areas which... If you think about why companies um, are acquired by other large organizations, it's usually because they've worked out in some way that they have a sort of a hole maybe in their offering or there's some extra element that that company can bring. And so there are hot areas of technology which remain hot. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure we'll come up to talk about things like generative AI and the like. Um, so those that you, know, you will see still companies going out of their way to acquire those sort of resources maybe even sort of in terms of just some of the personnel within those companies so they can build out their own offerings, et cetera. So yes, it's a far more difficult exit environment, but we, we, sold, we sold a company effectively back to management late last year. Um, it's, it's a company called the, um, the RAB brand. You might know it in terms of jackets, consumers, yes. outdoor wear, et cetera. Um, we backed it for a number of years before. Um, the, uh, there was an opportunity for... The management team effectively wanted to buy it back within, to take it back within. The company was doing very well. They made us an offer for that. We exited at a significant upside. Mm. You know, no matter what the market's doing, sometimes it's the right time for the right thing. But from a volume perspective, totally agree with you. It's going to be less in terms of exits, I would suggest, in the short term at least. You said that investing in startups is is difficult, but I would also say that investing in early stage companies is mm, is, is very difficult as well. But it's kind of, I would imagine, what VCTs were meant to do. You know, a lot of just build wind farms or whatever. But it's it's great that you're you're doing it. But what's your what's your what's your background? Why are you and 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 your team 
good at doing it because it's difficult. It is, it is difficult. And, and I, it's in terms of our background and experience, my own, I mean, sort of, I was, again, it's sort of, um, uh, we were talking before, before we started broadcasting, but the, um, I, you know, I sort of feel very old when I talk about these things now, but I started, well, I actually started my career in banking. So I worked at sort of Barclays Bank way back in the day when I was, sort of, was at 16. Um, and one of the, I was quite fortunate, and you know, Barclays was a great employer, but I, I was quite fortunate to be on the management development program, which meant I sort of worked in different divisions around the bank. And one of which was in terms of small business lending. And small business lending, I mean, that's really on the front lines of, you know, really small businesses, you know, where an overdraft of a thousand pounds could make or break them in terms of their opportunity to grow and scale. I spent a lot of time doing that. And and I guess what you sort of get from doing that is a an empathy, but also a deep understanding of just how businesses work. And so I worked, you know, with those sort of small scale businesses and then worked through in terms of larger, then focusing on technology businesses. And again, just the experience of having worked with numerous technology companies in terms of having a passion for technology, I think that's important. Mm-hmm. You've got to sort of really be into the area, um, but sort of working with them a lot. And then when we sort of build out the team, a lot of things that we focus on are sort of areas of sector expertise, but also sort of having, you know, a, a number of our sort of team members have done their own startups. Have they worked in businesses effectively and the like? And that sort of experience, knowledge, and, and importantly, empathy, I think is hugely important. We don't know it all, but what we try to do is build that network with people who've been in there and done that and help not only ourselves in terms of making investment decisions, but also our portfolio companies as well. Great. So we were also speaking offline about um, my surprise, I guess, uh, of the encroachment of AI into um, the part of the world that, that I operate in, the marketing world, and how how well um, AI um, navigates the creative industries with things like Canva and yeah. Chat GPT and so on. Um, what's 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 turning your head at the moment with regards to cutting edge technologies? Well, I think there is a. I think sort of Chat GPT is all, all the rage in terms of the conversations around generative AI. I think that's a an evolution of artificial intelligence. So it's it's been sort of coming in different areas. I think there is just a a step forward where we've moved from a, I guess a sort of behind the curtain sort of approach to sort of AI to a, and it comes out with an answer that people like or don't like, through more to a sort of solution provider, which is sort of right up front effectively. And I think that will have a huge impact in terms of other business, other services, consumer services, business services, in the way that it interacts with that technology. So from a an exciting perspective, I think there is a underlying technology, which is interesting, but I think there is probably sort of a, play for the existing technology sort of providers to play in those areas, the Googles of the word uh, of the world and Microsoft. But I think where that could be really interesting for us is in how you use that to drive innovative services across, as I say, consumer and business. And we're seeing some interesting ideas. So you talked about sort of, and maybe in the creative world in terms of content, the idea that you can sort of have, you know, multiple sort of content solutions for an offering of, of any form you know, the idea that you can access that sort of pretty effectively, you know, there is there is great opportunity there. There is sort of great threat there to a certain extent. I think if you're very good at what you do in terms of content creation, in terms of a that innovative element, you're going to be safe and secure. But 80% of maybe what is a task to you at the moment may well be able to sort of be taken over by generative eye in some form. And you need to add that special source, that extra 20%, which makes you valuable. So in recent decades, I've had the impression that um, uh, tech investors are looking uh, as much at 
uh, the momentum that a company has and kind of a, a land grab as opposed to their, their actual, the quality of their technology. Um, where do you stand on that? Do you, do you look hard at the, the deep tech and IP and so on? We do, we do look at sort of um, IP. We think it's important. We also recognise that, that how quickly the technology market is moving, that actually sort of IP and it's the inability to defend it from a legal perspective to a certain extent, the limitations of that. Mm. We sort of have to take that into account. So it's sometimes the idea that in the innovation and the IP that you have is more sort of valuable by how far ahead you might be of someone else. And if you can use that to effectively sort of um, attack a particular market. So we're very interested in a what competing technologies there are out there. We're also very interested in a the team and how they can continue to innovate and develop. So having a great idea today, but not really having the infrastructure or the ability to effectively to continue to expand on that, to develop it, to evolve it, is not hugely valuable because we know that the market is so competitive hmm. that there will be competing technologies which will be coming your way. So, so beyond what you have today, what's the plan for tomorrow? What's the plan for next week and the next year after that? And you know, that's, that's something which we sort of focus upon. I think from a market opportunity perspective, we have had, and I think this is more for sort of an industry play, there has just been this play of a, as I said before, just grown and grown and grown. That's the most important thing. And if you've got a big market opportunity, you can sort of do the numbers and say, if the market opportunity looks like this, we can grow this quickly. Mm. We must be valuable. I think that's, you know, to rethink that a little bit in terms of a, you know, what is the underlying value there? You saw a lot of sort of um, uh, companies sort of go around these sort of um, uh, speedy delivery, you know, all the different businesses we just talked about, so delivering to the home, speedy delivery effectively helped to a greater extent by sort of, you know, the COVID pandemic and, you know, everyone's sort of being at home, effectively not going out. Great. There are so many players in that market, or there have been so many players in that market. The market is finite. Hmm. There is definitely going to be some huge losers in that Hmm. area. Now, from a venture perspective, you've got to be able to sort of have one mind on, sort of one eye on that, but there will be some winners. Now, how valuable those winners will be is debatable. I think you've got to sort of look, go beyond the sort of the sort of easy mathematics of market looks like this, revenue potential looks like this. Somebody will buy us for X times amount of multiple of revenue. People now saying, actually, what's the value that you deliver? How profitable will this business ever be? And effectively, you know, how will the market dynamic change over a period of time? I mean, every market gets ahead of itself occasionally, but technology and venture, maybe it's a little bit more predisposed to. To, to the hypes, yeah, I guess you really have to watch the valuations and your yeah. own kind of levels of enthusiasm. Well, we, all, we all love the hype, don't we, to an yeah. extent. It, it is exciting. So, you know, the idea that sort of a, you know, coming back again, sort of to generative AI, I, I always think of technology, you know, most of the technology which has been sort of successful actually has uh, it's been foretold effectively on Star Trek. A lot of things that, you know, a lot of things that we've seen today and go, well, yeah. that works and that's done really well. The idea that you can have a computer that you can talk to and gives you the answer to things mm. effectively. You know, we love that idea. And so therefore, you can understand why the hype gets sort of slightly carried away. What we have found, though, actually, is if you sort of look at core technology and you can see an underlying sort of value benefit sort of from that technology, normally we've underestimated what the impact of that technology will be down the line. It will be more valuable than perhaps we initially perceive at the starting point. What we've also done, though, is totally overestimate how quickly it will impact the market, how quickly that value will arrive. That's just what we do, is it? I think, from a human nature perspective. And um, I, I, for one, enjoy it. You've got to be aware of it, but, mm. I, but I enjoy mm. it. Finding new 
uh, technology to back. That's a that's an exhausting process. Do, are there any themes that you like the look of that you think, yeah, let's have more of that. That's what we're looking for. One of the companies that we've backed is a company called um, Preservica. What it provides is a solution to long-term digital preservation of digital content. So if you think about all the digital sort of content and data that you are producing um, on a sort of a daily basis now or, and things that you particularly want to keep, so um, and, and we talk about you, but it's also as businesses, all of that content, if you think about it. Now, we've got used to having all that content around digital content. A lot of things that we produce now are digital, what we call digital first. They've never seen paper. What we haven't really got our heads around is the idea that you might want to keep that for the really long term, mm. 50, 100 years time stuff. And on that basis, what Preservica does is provides a solution platform which effectively says, we'll take this bit of digital content, we'll put it onto our platform for you, or you can put it onto the platform. And what we'll do is we'll evolve a bit as time goes by. So if digital formats change, now you 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 may remember, again showing my age, sort of floppy disks, different file formats or 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 platforms which no longer exist. WordPerfect versus what now we use all we use Word, Microsoft Word. There was something else called WordPerfect. All those file formats, effectively, which might go out of date, no one uses anymore, effectively, you need a way in which you can continually evolve the digital platform that you have so you can always access it. Including multimedia? Including mm -hmm. multimedia. So the key bit there being is, an a, if, if somebody were to ask you for that information and data in 50 years' time, and a lot of sort of um, uh, authoritative bodies, you know, regula regulatory bodies, can mm. ask you for that information. So mm. Preservica works with a lot with financial institutions. So financial institutions, somebody might ask you in 50 years' time, you did some trades in a particular time or whatever it might mm. be. We need, to see, mm. we need to see that data and information. You need to be able to provide it. If you don't provide it, you've got a problem. It could be pharmaceutical companies, which effectively do drug trials. We perhaps don't find out the impact of some of those drugs mm. until 50, 100 years on the road. Brands who hold a lot of digital value in their sort of, in their sort of digital records. Uh, Preserver could provide services to people like John Lewis and Marks and Spencer. It's solving a real problem, mm. very innovative in the way that they've sort of pulled together the platform. And they're doing very well in terms of delivering that across the world now. So the interesting thing is that VCTs are are um, invested in by individuals, and yet mm. this is early stage venture. So the two rarely go hand in hand, but they, they do here. What's the kind of the risk return profile been of the VCTs that you've, you've been involved? Involved with, or how, how would you characterize the the return potential going forward as well? I think I think we have to sort of you know to be clear in terms of the VCTs, venture capital trusts. Effectively, you know, they were a really sort of good creation by the government at the time in sort of the mid nineties. And the idea was we're trying to get people to be investing in sort of what are effectively riskier businesses, individuals. And how do we get them to do that? How do we get them to, rather than putting it into a deposit account and giving mm. us a little bit of interest, how do we sort of encourage them to do so? One of the things that they did um, quite cleverly was to say, we'll give you a tax break. If you sort of invest into VCTs, the current tax break is 30%. If you've got taxable income, we'll give that back to you. So if you invest £100,000 into sort of a VCT and you, um, we'll give you a tax break in terms of you have taxable income, you get effectively £30,000 of that back. That's a nice little encouragement. Mm. But underlying all of that is the idea that actually we're still getting you to invest into innovative UK companies. And on that basis, you know, some of these are going to be very early stage. They're going to be riskier. So we have to be really clear to the individual investors, look, we're investing in these interesting companies. We've got a great track record of showing how some of these can grow to be incredibly valuable. But we're also going to show you that actually some of these things, you know, small, small businesses and enterprises effectively, they are risky. They do sometimes not make it. 
we've been quite fortunate in terms of a the VCTs that we've invested out of the, the Mobius VCTs in particular have been able to sort of effectively show a two, two and a half times return on the money that we've invested, excluding the tax break, mm. which is great. Now, I have to, and my compliance team will be running after me very quickly and saying, it doesn't necessarily mean we'll do the same in the future, mm-hmm. but it's been a great advocate to sort of, to say to individual investors, look, you get a tax break, great. You effectively get 30 pence of your pound back, mm. um, you know, for, to invest in, in investing in this fund. And on that basis, we've been able to show that we can make it work. And if we back these types of companies, it can deliver really strong returns. Yeah. What about the competitive environment for actually doing deals? Presumably, VCTs were created on the assumption that there's an equity gap, but all good yeah. businesses presumably have interested parties. So how are you finding that at the moment? It's difficult. It's competitive. I mean, there is a lot of capital out there that is looking for homes in terms of investing into businesses. Now, I think things have got sort of tighter. So, you know, if we'd been talking maybe a, a year ago or 18 months ago, there were lots of companies which I would suggest you shouldn't get funded because maybe they weren't as strong as they should be, but they were getting funded because there was so much capital out there mm. chasing after them effectively. That sort of temperature has sort of died down a little bit with this sort of new economic environment. There are some funds now which don't have the benefit of maybe um, going out to market and getting additional capital invested into them. So, you know, as I sort of mentioned before, we went out and raised over £150 million from individual investors in the, in, in, in the last year. Um, that means that we are very well positioned in terms of liquidity to invest in other company, other in new companies and existing portfolio. Some other funds may be not so lucky in terms of being able to in their fundraising and be able to do that. But there is still a latent element of capital out in the markets, which is looking for investments into companies. So you've got to, one, be very sharp in terms of finding the right things and mm-hmm. being, being part of that conversation. But also, in addition to that, you've got to be sort of true to yourself in terms of a if the company isn't the right quality, the management team aren't the right quality, the opportunity is the right, oppor- right opportunity, just to pull back and actually say, actually, we're not going to invest. Or we're not going to invest at that price. And we're going to wait until we find the right things that we want to invest in. But it, but it is it is difficult because there is a still a overhang of capital looking to invest. It's a, ba- it's a balance of discipline and enthusiasm yeah. you've got to absolutely, manage. Absolutely, absolutely. And the enthusiasm is probably the more difficult one to, to manage because you see some things you think, that's amazing. Mm. That's a great team. And you sort of have conversations with them. They're going to take over the world. And you go, I, I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes you've got to go actually and something, well, okay, is that, is that, re- is that a reasonable view, view of the yeah. world? And just maybe sort of sit back a little bit and go, okay, maybe it is or it isn't and make a decision on that basis. Presumably there are ways to, to manage that risk if you like by drip feeding investment and so on into businesses. We're, we're very big on sort of doing multiple rounds of investments into our companies. We, we, we think there's a, I think it's a, a risk element as, as you touch upon. So, you know, rather than sort of putting a huge amount of capital in something which then just doesn't blatantly work, there is a, 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 a valuable way in which you sort of put a level of capital in. One, it allows the management team and you as an investor to focus. It's also a really great sort of um, inflection point or decision to review point when you sort of know that you're running out of capital. Mm. Actually, where are we? Let's look up again. We had a view of a gap at the market. Has the market changed over that year or two years? Is What have we learned? Are we sort of doing the right things in terms of marketing expenditure, in terms of pushing a product or service? Do we have the right sales channels to get to market? All these things you can review again and just go, okay, let's just make sure mm. before we sort of put more capital to, to work that we're doing the right things and that things haven't changed around us. Can I finish with a classic job interview question, which is um, where do you see Gresham House Ventures and 
the ambition that it has in in let's say five years or something like that? We believe that with a platform that we have at the moment, we're in a really great place to continue to grow sort of the venture capital trust funds that we have under management. So we have about sort of 800 odd in terms of just under VCTs. Yeah. Yeah, there is no reason at all why we can't sort of double that over the next sort of five years. It's it's ambitious, mm-hmm. but there's no reason at all why we can't do that. If the, you know all the other things been remaining equal. Um, Beyond that, venture capital trusts were designed with a specific purpose in mind to help sort of innovative and fast growing and younger companies. We think there is an opportunity for us to provide additional funds across our platform, but we can do other things as well. So one of the key things about sort of venture capital trusts is um, that you cannot provide secondary capital to a company. So the idea being that if you had a entrepreneur or founder who's built their business over the last five years, risk everything probably to do it, remortgage their house effectively, use all of their savings, they get to a point whereby they think, actually, I'm now showing that it really, really works. I'm going to get some capital on board so I can really go for it. As Venture Capital Trust, we can provide that capital. What we can't do is effectively say to the entrepreneur, you know something, you've taken all this risk to get here. Mm. Now you're worried about the Mm. mortgage. Mm. Actually, you're focusing more about sort of, you know, putting food on the table and sort of the mortgage than you are about sort of the opportunity that's available to you. Wouldn't it be great if we can provide them with a level of capital that says, actually, we're going to buy some of your shares. You've still got a huge amount of value in the existing shares. You've still got a dream. So you really want to push and go for it. But we can buy some capital. VCTs can't do that. So one of the things that we're looking at at the moment is that a secondaries fund where we can buy some capital from, maybe it might be angel investors or from entrepreneurs effectively allow them to get a liquidity so the company can continue to go on in its journey in terms of growth. What kind of structure might that be, or is that too early to say? We, we think that may well be a more traditional sort of uh, LLP, as we right. put it, sort of uh, fund. And that's because it's the idea that sort of a, the VCTs are, you know, they are very efficient in doing what they do. Mm. Um, and on that basis, they were designed effectively just to be focused on growth. An LLP structure, sort of a more sort of traditional sort of private equity structure, is probably more appropriate for releasing capital from that existing investment mm. to sort of entrepreneurs or angel investors or previous investors. And you could apply them to the, to the same company at once. Presumably. That's the plan. Yeah, That's yeah, the plan yeah. because it's a you because know, of course they're not they're not conflicting. VCTs yeah. can't do that. Mm. They cannot do that. It's one of the rules and regulations. Um, and on the basis that we can do that with this other fund, it provides a solution which hopefully should benefit all investors because. The entrepreneur, I've seen this many times in the past, if the entrepreneur, every decision they make, they think they're risking their house or whatever it might Mm, be, mm. they're not really going to be in a position. We see this more probably in the UK and Europe than we do in the US, but they're not really going to be in the right risk mentality. They shouldn't have to take that risk on every decision that they make. And we can help with that, hopefully. Trevor, it's been a pleasure. Good luck with it and uh, come again soon. Great fun. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Fund Shack Podcast. It's the private capital channel for alternative investment professionals. This podcast was designed and produced by Linear B Group, a leading content marketing agency focused on financial and professional services. Thanks for listening.